There's something to be said about picking a new spot that you've never been before and going there for the first time and trying to hunt it. You have no idea what you're going to get yourself into, whether good or bad, and I've had both. You know, being out of state, if you're traveling a long way, scouting is really out of the question unless you have a heck of a lot of time on your hands and don't work a full-time job. And you got plenty of income coming in to do that, which there are guys out there, obviously, that do it. I'm not one of those lucky ones. So for me, when it comes to hunting out of state, new areas, you know, it, uh, technology in some areas has gone too far, but technology has really helped us out as hunters. Outside of the technology, you know, you go back to the roots and call wildlife biologist officers, you call wardens, and, and I, I go as far as to look at weather patterns over the last year, finding out what vegetation is doing. You know, I've been in some places where one year it's absolutely stellar and the animals are there, and I go back the following year or two years later and think I'm going to be in the same stuff, and I get there and the feed's not there or the water is dried up. So, right. you know, calling those people and checking out weather patterns and seeing what the forage is doing and all that, it's another good thing to do. If you're scouting the first half hour or hour after sunup, cover as much ground as you can to catch those animals moving to a bed. You know, yeah. if it's mid midday and you know the animals are bedded down or hunkered down wherever they are, you're going to have to slow down a little bit more. Hey guys, welcome to Throwback Thursdays. I've gone through my library and started picking out some of the most popular podcasts over the last... 12, 14 years or whatever, how long it's been, I've forgotten now, uh, that I've been doing this and um, we've re-edited them and put them out there for you guys to uh, to check out. Uh, a lot of good information there. So forgive me, some of them might be a little bit poor quality, you know, depending on when it was recorded. But uh, Throwback Thursday is brought to you by HowlForWildlife.org. Powerful Wildlife was designed to give the hunter and angler a fast-acting tool to combat anti-hunting and fishing bills and initiatives. Howl has given us sportsmen and women not only the ability to act fast, but to amplify our voices and to be heard on issues concerning wildlife management. Howl supports science-based wildlife management and will continue to fight any initiative that goes against sound management. So become a member at howlforwildlife.org. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Today we have on the phone with uh, just an absolute beast in the field, a guy that just seems to get it done time and time again, fellow outdoor insider, Jared Bluegren. How are you? Doing well, John. How are you doing tonight? Uh, it's been pretty crazy. Remodeling my house, running three businesses, kids just started back at school. Hunting season just kind of getting rolling here. <laughs> I'm running around with my hair on fire, but otherwise, uh, pretty good. Matter of fact, I'm doing this podcast from my, from my truck in in the Safeway parking lot because that's how I, crazy it is. <laughs> I hear you, man. Life is crazy. You know, I got two little ones myself, and finding time to do a podcast sometimes can be kind of tough because in the middle, sometimes they'll run right into one and, and uh, I'll have to gather my thoughts again. But uh, luckily it works out tonight. I'm just uh, yeah. doing shooting a little bit of bow and uh, got back in the house here a little bit ago and prepared some elk steaks. And now I'm just packing for the weekend. I'm taking my two little ones with me on the scouting trip for antelope and mule deer this weekend. So looking forward nice. to tomorrow afternoon and hit the road. Sounds like fun, man. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to get out and uh, scout. Sunday and Monday for uh, 
my upcoming sheep hunt. You know, be my first trip down to take a look. Let's see if I could scoop my dad up and get him down there. Um, Absolutely. So, but well, give us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you do, and things will run down. Right on. You know, I uh, I'm a small town country boy, if you will. I grew up in in North Dakota on the farm and ranch up there and had an opportunity to take over the farm and I decided to uh, go to college after high school and get a degree and along those lines uh, my father came down with cancer and and when he was in his late stages of life I I heard him mention to somebody a family friend he said you know if it was up to me I would have had one of my boys be in the military because the military has taught me so much in life and I would never change who the the army and who the military made me as a person. He didn't know I heard that. The -hmm. next day I traveled, I I met a recruiter and I I signed my name countless times to a piece of paper to defend this country. 16 years later, uh, I'm still in, you know, I'm still defending the country the best I can to my ability and, and doing what I can as a soldier. And I've never looked back from that. And, you know, that's kind of the roots of, of what got me in the military. And along with all that, you know, I grew up in a family. The tradition was hunting. You know, every year it was like a holiday. Every opener of any season that opened, it was a holiday. So it's it's always been in my family blood, and it's, it's just years of doing that. You know, it's, it's brought me full circle to today, and and I pass that along to my children. Hunting is very much a part of the family it's in our blood and it's always going to be and uh, you know hunting is just uh it's a staple in my life um, became a freelance writer years and years ago back when i was still in high school i got asked to write an article and and i wrote the first article and from there i just kind of kept going with it and i uh, enjoy reliving the hunt and sharing tips and tactics with others through uh, freelance writing today that's awesome well first I want to thank you for your service and, and all that you do putting yourself out there to protect this country. Um, I appreciate that. That is uh, something you're a better man than me. You um, know, I, I get a lot of questions today, you know, how, how do you feel about today's administration or the politics? And, you know, it, it, it's, we're in a bad place in the country right now. And we really are when we need some up and up, we got a lot of fixing to do and, and who knows what direction it's going to go at this time. Time will tell, but hopefully for the better. Yeah. We always hope that gets better. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, at least in my adult life, I feel like the presidents have gotten worse and worse. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. especially, especially coming from a Reagan era. Well, I mean, I guess well, I was born before. I was a Carter, Carter's kid, but, um, you know. <laughs> Reagan was such an awesome president and did so much Absolutely. good things and then just seemed like oh, it fell off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, here um, we are, John. We're talking politics and we should be talking more fun stuff like hunting. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I actually avoid politics like the plague. So, Me too. And here we are. Uh, so the way the interviews work is people shoot questions at me all the time you know, via social media or you know, through the Outdoor Insiders and, and whatnot. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I just compile them. I just kind of stockpile them. And once I get, you know, a certain amount of questions that I feel I can put a show together or or about a certain subject that I go and find a guy that 
the best suited to answer them. And uh, you're kind of known for your public land hunting and your, uh, you know, your DIY attributes. So I'm going to uh, fire a couple questions at you that uh, I consistently get a- uh, excuse me get asked. So perfect. First question is, what's your approach to hunting new grounds? Let me let me explain that even better. What what is some of the things that you do to prepare to hunt a new place or to hunt out of state? Uh, you know, you're going to be hunting public lands. You know, there's going to be some competition, but you've never been there before. Uh, it might even be a new species or whatever. What are some of the things that you do to kind of get ready so you're not going in completely blind and sure you have a leg up? You know, it's uh, I have some really good spots in various states that have been animal producing areas for me in the past that have done very well. And I do revisit those, but there's something to be said about picking a new spot that you've never been before and going there for the first time and trying to hunt it. You have no idea what you're going to get yourself into, whether good or bad, and I've had both. You know, being out of state, if you're traveling a long way, scouting is really out of the question unless you have a heck of a lot of time on your hands and don't work a full-time job and you got plenty of income coming in to do that, which (laughs) there are guys out there, obviously, that do it. I'm not one of those lucky ones. So for me, when it comes to hunting out of state, new areas, you know, it, uh, technology in some areas has gone too far, but technology has really helped us out as hunters. You know, the obvious sure. ones, um, you know, Google Earth has became a staple in, in how I scout new land anymore. You know, I'll get on Google Earth and I'll zoom into areas, I'll look for a mountain range and then on that mountain range, I look for some good ridge systems that provide good cover, concealment, feed, water, you know, everything that you need. And then I, I just keep narrowing it down to an area that I feel is the spot that I want to go. If it wasn't for Google Earth or other things to find the public land, like Onyx Maps, you know, is a huge asset nowadays. If it wasn't for that, you know, you'd just, you'd show up and you'd be kind of lost in, lost in the weeds, if you will. But there's a lot of times I get to places just because of those technology factors that I already know the area. It's almost like I felt like I've been there. Obviously, yeah. there's you know, obviously there's things that are going to be different that you didn't expect. But for the most part, if you paid enough attention and find those areas on the maps and know where the public and private is, you can usually get into some pretty good hunting. Getting away yeah. from the people, you know, that's a that's a whole nother whole nother thing. Uh, yeah, you know. It's no secret what I just said, that that's the way to do it. It's getting away from the hunters sometimes can be just as tough. Um, a hunt I was on last year for deer, I was seeing far more hunters than I was seeing deer. And and just as, as you hear and many people say, push harder, push farther and get away from those crowds. And a lot of times that's what you have to do, but also thinking outside the box and look for animals in places where you generally wouldn't think they are. Yeah, uh, you know, for so sure. A couple different ways to do it in that aspect, I guess. But yeah, yeah technology, I mean, it's really helped us out a big time, hasn't it? For sure. I think, you know, in a, I've I've had similar conversations with guys, and I've, heard, I've said it myself, kind of a very similar answer to what you just gave. I think with the problem that most people have is not knowing how to recognize that stuff. I think Absolutely. actually going... I'm going to have to do uh maybe we'll do this together. I might, might do a live, uh, 
or a video version of it and actually kind of like show on Google Earth what, what you're actually looking at. Yeah, I mean, you could tell water and you could tell an open field or whatever, but actually discerning between what's a bench or what's, uh, you know, intersecting ridge lines and what what's edge cover, what's what looks like bedding, what looks like seating, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's, I think uh, I just thought of that right now. That that would be good because yeah, I know a lot of guys listening to this podcast are going to say to myself, "Well, I mean, that's great, but yeah, yeah." How do I say? How do I figure that out? How do I use that tool? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Seeing somebody doing it is key. So there you go. There's the, uh, another video you can do. And, you know, sure. outside of the technology, you know, you go back to the roots and call wildlife biologist officers, you call wardens. And and I, I go as far as to look at weather patterns over the last year, finding out what vegetation is doing. You know, I've been in some places where one year it's absolutely stellar and the animals are there. And I go back the following year or two years later, I think I'm going to be in the same stuff. And I get there and the feed's not there or the water is dried up. So, right. you, know, you know, calling those people and checking out weather patterns and seeing what the forage is doing and all that, it, it's another good thing to do. Yeah, well, anything that you can, I think anything that you can collect, any information you can collect is going to help you. You know, back in the day when I did a lot of whitetail hunting, one of the things I used to do, and this can work for other animals too, uh, just, you know, depends on the area, is... I used to look at accident, look for up accident reports of deer, deer collisions. And if there was multiple in a certain like part of a section of a highway or part of a section of a road, I knew that was a, you know, like a big travel corridor, you know, and I would start my efforts there. Um, And it's funny, if you look for those deer crossing signs, typically they put a deer crossing sign (laughs) where historically, there's a lot of deer that start crossing from that point on. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, they're telling you where to hunt. So that's a little trick that not a lot of people know. But Well, um, yeah, you, it's again, it's thinking outside the box. I do the same exact thing. And unfortunately, one of the biggest whitetails I ever had opportunity to hunt got hit by a car uh, in that same area where I was hunting. And the reason I set up in that area is because I knew the deer were mo- moving through that during rut. And, Right. Yeah, lo and lo and behold, he's on a game and fish's wall somewhere now. Yeah. But y- yeah, you gotta, you know, it's like anything. You just gotta think about that and and think like an animal, if you will. Yeah. I mean, you hit it on the nail on the head. You just gotta think outside the box. You just gotta do better, faster, different than everybody else, and yeah. and that's how you succeed. And that's kind of why you you know well, you yeah, are what you are. There's another thing too that goes along with that, John. Is is uh, you can do what you've been doing for the last however many years and do it the same as anybody else. But mm-hmm. if you're patient and you're persistent, beyond what those other people are, you're going to have more opportunity as well. Yeah, a lot to be said to that. That's actually my my Achilles heel is that I'm not patient. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm a little. I'm a little too aggressive, a little too go, go, go. I mean, sometimes it works out in my favor, but most of the time it's to my detriment. Um, but I don't know. I can't, I can't seem to change. I'm getting worse too as I get older. Most people get more patient as they get older. 
So. You're going. You're reversing the other way. Huh? <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> well, anyway, so we started talking about gear a little bit in uh, public land and, and, and you know some different ways to kind of scout and whatever. But um, what are some uh, tactics or tips uh, you'd like to share with um, with us about being more success more successful deer hunter on public land? What you What know, are some I... things that kind of help you get that done? Yeah. You know, you say deer hunting, and it's something that can be used in any any hunting. Doesn't matter if you're hunting bullfrogs down by the creek. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and I'm, I'm kind of going to come right back to something I already said, but patience. You know, patience and per- what? How's the saying go? Patience plus persistence equals opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So you can put yourself out there on the map, on the grid square, anywhere you want to go, and if you have plenty of patience. And if you're doing it often enough and you're being persistent enough, eventually things are going to, in my eyes, align to produce the opportunity that you're looking for. You know, there's all kinds of tips and tactics out there that you'll hear numerous people say, but every tip and every tactic, in my eyes, needs patience and it needs persistence to get you the opportunity that you're looking for. So, you know, everybody that has probably asked me the question, what is your number one thing that you think as a hunter you need? Uh, Absolutely uh, patience and persistence, but you also have to make sure you're hunting in an area where there are animals. And if you go back to how you scout, if you did your homework right and used technology and called people and scouted the way you should scout, you should put yourself in a decent area to get in on animals. Whether or not the quality is there, you just don't know until you get there and you hunt it. So, you know, I kind of all over the place right now, but I guess that would be my number one would be patience. And for, for somebody that maybe doesn't have patience, I guess I don't know how to tell you to be more patient, but I just rely rely on persistence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. Yeah. If if you're not, if you're not patient, persistence is eventually going to pay off for you too. Maybe not quite as fast as if you're patient, but one way or another, it's going to happen. Absolutely. You know, it's like if you sit on a deer trail day in and day out from sun up to sundown, eventually deer is going to walk by. (laughs) So I guess that would be persistence and you definitely have to be patient to do that. And I don't think I'm patient enough to sit on a trail all day long myself. I'm, I'm always one that's on the move wanting to spot and stalk and, be on the move all the time so cool that's a good it's well put i mean it, it makes a lot of sense really it's it's the one thing or the two things that you can apply to anything in hunting um and I, i'm with you right you know yeah. not as patient i like to be but i'm with you i know i know that's that's the key well i don't i don't think anybody can say they're as patient as they want to be I don't think yeah. I've ever talked to one person in my life that has said I am definitely the most patient person in the world because it's pretty contradictory, really. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody can use more patience in every aspect of life. That's true. That is true. Including those uh, politics we were talking about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well... So my next question I get all the time, and I've answered this a couple of couple of times, but I think I'd like to hear somebody else who's got good, a good uh, good experience with this. 
aside from practice, what can a novice hunter do to improve his or her glassing technique? Uh, it's kind of like a weird generalized question, but how does somebody right. get better at at glassing, so to speak? Yeah, better at glassing. Um, you know, I hate bringing it up again because it's probably getting a little redundant, but patience, right? But getting <laughs> off, getting off, getting off that that soapbox now. Uh, things that I do and when I'm glassing, you know, there's some hunts, high country mule deer, especially you'll spend days on end looking through your glass, hoping to find that buck of your dreams or the buck that gets, uh, gets your, uh, attention. And, you know, who knows, you know, let's say an eight hour day of hunting, maybe you're behind that glass six, seven hours a day. And the other time you're spent traveling and moving, but what I do is I like to find a good vantage point, obviously mm-hmm. set up, get comfortable as the more comfortable you are, the better, you're, more effective you're going to be at glassing. And then I look at what's in front of me and I pick a point to my far left and a point to my far right. And I start, try to stay within those boundaries. First thing is I pick out what all the obvious areas are where you think that animal would be. And those are always my first areas that I look at. If that hasn't produced, you know, I I may get up, stretch a little bit after I had scanned everything, sit back down and look at those areas one more time. If there's nothing yet, do a quick grid search of everything. Maybe those deer or elk or antelope or whatever it may be are up and moving. Bullfrogs, I don't know what you're hunting, but you know, mm-hmm. maybe they're moving. So and then I break it down into a grid pattern and make sure I cover everything. And if I'm still not, get up and move a ways, you know, find another spot, sit down. Sometimes just moving a few feet can make the difference of seeing that animal to not seeing that animal. Oh, yeah. To catching that, yeah, to catching that antler tip sticking out of the brush or from behind the rock or, but you know, hours on end of glassing, making sure you're taking some breaks in there. Get up if you're on a skyline or something, move off of it, get on the backside, stretch, go to the bathroom if you have to, take your boots off, drink some water, have a snack, and then regather yourself and get your mind about you. And I know some guys who take eye drops with them and and sit back down and, and do it all over again. And uh, there's times where I thought there's absolutely no deer in this area at all. And I got uh, impatient and and complacent and gave up on it. And I stand up, start walking away. And well, what jumps up, takes off running is that animal that I did not look at because I got, got impatient or, or complacent. Yeah. So it's, you know, always check the obvious areas first and then uh, look at, all the what's areas. Obvious, what's obvious area for you? Obvious areas. Well, it, now if I'm hunting mule deer and it's warm, I'm going to be looking on uh, any of the faces that are going to have some shade, whether it be below rocks, below ledges, in tree patches, in some brush patches. Um, looking closer to where maybe there's some water, maybe an animal's up, up moving. But for mule deer, it's always for me has been looking for the shady spots. Obviously, those bucks are going to be in that shade. And depending on time of day with the sun changing, sometimes they'll get up and reposition in a bed. And whether or not you're going to be paying enough attention to catch them doing that, that's that's key. Um, elk, obviously, it's a little harder to do because they're, 
bedding in the timber for the most time. You know, every once in a while, you'll you'll catch a bull up. He may leave his cows and venture to a wallow or walk through a park or an opening somewhere. And if you're glassing and lucky enough to see that, you can uh, antelope. It's a whole different ball game. They're running everywhere yeah. almost all the time. It seems like so that doesn't really even apply to antelope as much. But yeah, it you know, yeah, absolutely. But it, uh, yeah, pick pick apart the terrain the best you can. Take your time and and be patient no, again. <laughs> now you mentioned a grid. What what do you do? Do you do uh, typewriter or do you up and down? I go left to right from the top down. Um, left to right from the top down. So. Yeah, that's I like I like to top, start higher up because I found that generally those animals are bedded higher up anyway. If they're in a basin or on a mountainside in the early season, they're generally going to be higher up, I found. So I like to start at the most area, the most obvious areas up higher and move my way down. Mm-hmm. Starting left, moving right, moving down, and again, left to right. Do it a couple times and, and move and do it again, I guess. Well, I used to be real systematic like you kind of just, you know, grid it out. And, and I don't know, last few years, this might be because of the impatience, I've kind of gotten to this, like, just, I look at all the, well, you, you said it earlier. I look at all the, like, you know, feeding spots or bedding spots or the obvious places. I'll use your word terminology, all the obvious places first. And then I'll just start kind of like, I got really fast at glassing. Like, I don't know, like I kind of, I just look back and forth all over and I'm always just, because I, I, I key in the movement real well. I've never yeah. really been good at picking up uh, bedded animals, even when I was real systematic. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm always looking for that one that stands up to stretch his legs, you know, for two right. seconds. And then that's kind of, that's kind of been my thing. So. I glass kind of fast. So I'm always back and forth and I'm kind of, I don't really have a pattern anymore. Yeah. I'm just kind of all over the place and just look where I, where I feel I need to look. It's weird. It's been, it's been working for me. I can't, I can't complain. No, about yeah. them. But, uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I would I, say to those listening that I would do what Jared does because that is just, it's smarter. It, doesn't leave a rock unturned, so to speak. You, you cover everything and you're not passing over, you know, there might be a section that you're missing. Um, but, um, you know, you could start with that, start with that. And then, if, you know, middle of the day, whatever, you're tired of being real, you know, systematic and you just kind of want to just look all over the place and, you know, switch you, to, to John's crazy tactic. Yeah. When but, you get impatient, then start doing it John's way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm with you too. I know exactly what you're saying. I, there's times, yeah, absolutely. You're going to catch more movement if you're moving around a little bit more with your glass too. So I definitely mm-hmm. see the advantages there too. You know, there's uh, different ways of doing it for sure. And, and if you're not, and I wouldn't say that I, I start left or right and just move at a snail's pace. You know, I'm, I'm scanning pretty good, but I'll start up high and move left or right drop down left to right a little bit lower left to right and i'll do that right. a couple times over you know i'll go back over those spots again if you're hunting with somebody else you know have them start in a different area and look and right opposite of you I and mean, you guys meet yeah. in the middle you know yeah. um, and then yeah like when i first started hunting coos here i used to go 
I would move my binos one full section, you know, whatever my field of view is mm -hmm. and look for three seconds four seconds. And then I'd move it again and yeah. then I'd move it again. And, you know, that was great. I, I, I mean, I saw all kinds of stuff that I, I never probably would have seen, but it gets boring. Though. I also, it, it does, it gets boring. And then I feel, I, I always feel like you're possibly missing out. So like if you only got, let's say, you know, it's the early season, it's super hot and you're only moving for half an hour, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cover ground and, faster. Yeah, exactly. I guess you got to develop your system to the time of year. I mean, if you're hunting yeah, when it's hot, yeah. you know, you mentioned the shade, obviously. Yeah. Look in shady spots. You're hunting in the winter time when it's really cold. You want to look at the sunny slopes. You know, yeah. you want to, yeah. want to be out in the sun and soak up the rays. There's um, so many, so many variables. Like you said, if, if you're scouting the first half hour or hour after sunup, cover as much ground as you can to catch those animals moving to a bed. You yeah. know, if it's mid midday and you know, the animals are bedded down or hunkered down wherever they are, you're going to have to slow down a little bit more. Yeah. Then you go that smell space. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, another thing I find guys do wrong all the time that we hadn't touched on this is wind. Yeah. If it's really windy, like, windy enough that deer will probably bed down or elk will try to get at, they're going to try to find a spot that's a windbreak. They're going to look, mm -hmm. I typically look for a spot to sit down and have the wind directly in my face because then you know you're looking at the windbreaks. You, you know you're looking at the, the ridge face that has the protection right. from the wind. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, between, I think between the two of us, we, we nailed that one. Oh yeah, I think we got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I get this question a lot, and of course, this you know, the question came across as as and used the word buck. Now, whether or not we're talking about muleys or or whitetail, um, they both have different behavior. So, um, let's start. Let's start with with mule deer. And of course, this also means what where where in the country you're hunting. But the question was asked to me: What do you suggest our listeners do to score a buck in, on a late season archery hunt? So let me let me let me clarify that a little bit because I think what they're asking is late season, meaning after the rut. We're talking probably snow. We're talking you know dead of winter, that type of hunt. You know, they're, they're not backstreet up like they are. They're not on a pattern like they are in, in the early season. They're not out chasing those. They're back into survival mode and, and they're a different, uh, what, what kind of things do you, do you do to kind of increase your uh, chance of success? Well, you know, you say that, uh, the deer aren't going to be chasing does, but that is at least where I hunt is hard to believe. Sometimes, you know, we have our second estrus cycle come in sometimes middle of December and push into close. Sometimes I've seen bucks chasing up into Christmas time. Mm -hmm. So I, I never quite let go of they're not chasing does anymore because there are still some does that didn't get bred and they're coming on their second cycle and they might go into the second rut in December. So I never right. quite, quite let go of that. But even so late season, you know, let's say the first rut, those bucks, they had a hard rut and maybe a rifle season was over and they got pushed hard during rifle season and, you know, they, they lost a lot of body fat. 
a buck's brain now changes from breeding even if there's a second breeding cycle going on their brain still changes to survival no matter what they're thinking with what body part they're thinking with they're still gonna alter to okay i need to survive it's winter time i need to put on body weight i lost body weight i need food i need so i focus strictly on uh on uh, feeding areas and bedding areas you know it's pretty obvious you find where those deer are going to get that late season feed and you find where those deer are bedding and you, know, you look for the travel corridors between the two set up on them whether a tree stand or or ambush or or spot and stock whatever you're doing they're going to travel between bed and feed pretty religiously at that time and they will pick up a bit of a pattern again i think too is as long as they got consistent feeding areas they're going to be revisiting sure. those areas and and putting on that body weight that they lost uh, earlier in the season and uh, i do think too that some of those big bucks start start letting letting their card down a little bit you know, they think hunting pressure is, has moved off maybe if it if it was a rifle season recently and and they, they start focusing on that feed again. It, it was a prime example for me for North Dakota Whitetail two years ago. I went up there two weeks after rifle season had ended, found a really good whitetail, and he did exactly that. He was still wanting to breed does into December, but he... Nice every morning he was in the feed and every he was always in the feed every morning and he always went back there every evening and he always bedded in the same crp field every day granted it took me nine days to finally get in the right spot in the crp to make a stock happen but i know for a fact that buck was pushed hard during rifle season and oh, sure. uh, you know he just let his guard down and i had my my brother and nephews were hunting that area with rifle and and they covered that area really hard for the two weeks of season. And they seen that buck. They got a glimpse of him one time the last day of season. Otherwise, that was the only time they seen him. Two weeks after rifle season was over, I went out there and I could find him every morning or every evening when I went to glass. I found him every time. And he was very visible. He he wasn't hiding anymore. And, and he was pushing does and focusing on food. Yeah. He got the memo. He he knew that rifle season was over. So, yeah, yeah. He knew he could also, he knew he could show his face because no, nobody can can shoot their bows three hundred yards. <laughs> <So. laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like we said earlier, finding those places where other people aren't going to hunt. I, I'm yeah. very confident to say that nobody had ever hunted that area with a bow and arrow in December in North Dakota, and temperatures. Yeah, nobody would- Nobody goes out in the outside of their house in North Dakota. Nobody, nobody's, dumb <laughs> nobody's dumb enough like me, maybe. But it, I mean, I was hunting him, and I seen negative uh, twenty one wow. morning when I left the pickup, and you know it was brutal, windy, and cold, and it was nasty. I, I didn't blame yeah. anybody else for not being out there, but yeah, yeah, I would venture to say, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's those are the days. I got more stories about those like days that like people were like, actually one of my favorite hunting stories I tell people, I was hunting uh whitetail in New York and I went out during a nor'easter. Um, nor'easter for where people don't know, don't know. It's kind of like a monsoon of the Northeast coast. It's super cold, rain, gale force winds. 
Um, so I'm sitting in a tree stand. I'm getting blown 60-mile-an-hour <laughs> winds, which probably wasn't the smartest thing, you know. Tree to sway in four yeah. feet from one side to the other. Just to give you an idea, my abs hurt for a week from the workout that I was getting <laughs> to keep myself stabilized. But awesome. I went out there. I sat in the tree. I just knew that deer were going to move. They were going to get up and move. Sure enough, the buck that I had been chasing, he got up. He was pushing his doe. Came underneath the stand, and I got him. You know, I mean, it, it, was, it was a little hairy there. I thought I was going to fall out of the stand trying to make the shot, but um, <laughs> I, I got him, and, and it's still one of my one of my favorite bucks. Uh, he's by no means one of the biggest bucks I've ever shot, but he's he's just it was just a cool experience. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, and I, I went to South Dakota in December, uh, late December. Um, I don't know, 2012, I think it was. And it was, I mean, brutal cold, just blizzard. The wind was blowing so bad, one whole side of my body, I looked like Frosty the Snowman. The other side was all <laughs> like, you know, no snow on it. And just, yeah, and I, and I, I ended up shooting a you know, decent, decent buck. But just, uh, yeah, nobody wanted to hunt. But you know, when it's super cold and super, you know, crazy things going on, you're so they, they live out there. They survive oh, yeah. that every day of their lives. And yeah, they'll they'll get up and move around quite a quite a bit in that cold weather too. They got to stay warm and up and moving and getting more food. It just produces heat for them, and it's all about survival, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I hear people say all the time, "Oh, it's too windy. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to go out and hunt." But it's like yeah. you know, deer don't move in the wind. No, they actually do. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Contrary to popular their, their day their day doesn't stop because it's windy outside. Right. You know, but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, man, I, I, I think what most people could take from me and you talking two guys that kind of, uh, been around a little bit is don't discount anything. Always think, think outside the box. Definitely persistence and patience. Yeah. I mean, those are the, those are the things that separate the guys that, uh, make it happen more often than not so that's it and that's all i got for you man i mean it was a, a little short list of uh questions um well, i appreciate it you know i might have got a little long-winded on some of those but oh not at all man i think you, you answered things uh very well and uh i think people will be able to take something home from the listen to it so that's the, that's the important key we're always trying to hit on the educational side of stuff and make uh better hunters out there and right on so well, uh, yeah. can you uh, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you? Yeah, you know, social media, obviously, uh, Facebook, Instagram, always posting stuff on there. And then I, I do some articles of write for uh, rockslide.com. You can find articles there, as well as now I'm uh, also blogging on uh, uh, cryptic.com. Just wrote a short blog here a couple days ago about, it's titled, Why Do You Hunt? And, you know, it's, it expands on a little bit more of the reasons why I hunt, but it's something I take to heart and check it out if you get a chance. Uh, there's also blogs on uh, PSCR True website on their blog link, and uh, as well as obvious on uh, the Outdoor Insiders. And then, you know, magazines popping up in there, here and there, uh, different ones across the, the country. And so there's various avenues to uh, uh, see and I also invite anybody they ever have questions 
you know, contact me in one way, shape or form. And I always enjoy helping people out and helping them become a better outdoorsman. So it's open door, if you will. There you go. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.